listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I'm pre-recording tonight, so you can't call in. I know I did say it would be live, but um, that didn't work out so well. So we are pre-recording tonight. If you would like, if you're listening tonight, would like to get in touch with me, you can email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, but let me spell that out for you. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I want to do a shout out again to Trevor from ARA Studios. He is kind enough to let us use studios again tonight. And I love the sound that uh, that works through the studio. So I, I, I always ask him. <laughs> okay, I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 p.m. Central. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Radio, and Google Play. If you subscribe to those services, if you want direct links to those services, you may go to our CWR homepage on the website, cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. I was going to have Sylvia and Lacey on tonight, but uh, Sylvia contacted me today and said that uh, she was unable to uh, be on so this whole month because of the fact that they're so busy with Christmas stuff. I understand that. We kind of get that, don't we? So I let her off the hook once again. No, just kidding. That's the first time. And um, so she'll be joining us. She and Lacey will be joining us sometime uh, next uh Next month in January is what she asked for. And we will go to a public service announcement. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we're... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Okay, before I introduce my next, um, uh, my guest, uh, let me just share with you that my goal was to have a discussion on sisterhood and the two greatest sisters I know that are amazing is Lacey and, and Sylvia. They're absolutely out, out, outlandish, outlandish as far as sisterhood. Uh, but um, another area that is very near and dear to my heart is genetic depression. Um, my cousin was on a few weeks ago and she discussed it a little bit. And so tonight my guest is Marie, which is actually the daughter of my cousin who lives with it. Um, so she's going to give us a, a first person point of view of that. Um, I won't be using her last name, uh, but I appreciate her coming on tonight and filling in the hole from uh, Sylvia and, um, and Lacey. So here's a little bio on here. She's a stay at home mom with two boys, age 12 and four. She was diagnosed with depression when she was 12 and put on an antidepressant when she was about 19. Um, She was suicidal off and on from that time and was around 12 um, and had a stint in the hospital for behavioral 
unit for overdosing on sleeping pills uh, when she was 25. She dealt with an abusive relationship when she was 19, but luckily ended up marrying her her childhood sweetheart, who they'll be celebrating their 14 years of marriage um, this coming February. Uh, She never finished college, but she has had training in technical theater and has been playing the piano since she was very young. And she enjoys music, crafts, building, painting sets, and so forth. So let's welcome her to our show. Marie, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. You sound great. Are you at home? Yeah, I made it home just in time. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so um, Marie was getting her hair done, which we always have to primp. So I told her, take your time. We need to have our time for us. Okay, so my first question is, um, explain genetic depression from your perspective. What does depression look like from your perspective? Are you asking medically or Uh, No, just... Yeah, personal. How would you describe that? What would it look like if someone said, "What does that look like?" What would you, how would you explain that? So, <laughs> um, my father, he suffered from severe clinical depression, right. and um, and when I was about twelve years old, I, my mom uh, noticed that I was having similar symptoms and it was trying to trying to remember back that far uh for me at the time it was a lot of uh feeling unworthy like I wasn't enough like um like I just I hated myself and It was a lot of questioning myself, my worth, and I noticed how it affected my dad, and and I think it was different for me in a lot of ways, probably because I was younger, um, but also for other reasons, I'm sure. Um, but as I got older and was, you know, dealt with it more, it was something I realized that I was going to have to deal with for the rest of my life because it was something my father had to deal with for the rest of his life. It was right. It was continuous. It was, it was never going away. And so genetic depression, uh, I guess to me, is something that can be passed down from someone in your family, uh, I think sometimes it can skip a generation or it'll manifest differently in uh, a a different generation. So like my sister doesn't have depression, but she has dealt with anxiety. Um, My brother has dealt with a little bit of both, I think, uh, but has managed to deal with it on his own in healthy ways, um, not having to be medicated. And so, you know, I was the lucky one who got the full brunt of it. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so it, it just, I, so genetically speaking, it, it's it's something that, you know, is passed down in families, um, but can manifest itself differently for each person. Um it's something that I think if you have that history, you need to be aware of and watch for in the uh, the coming generations, the younger ones. Right. You know, Which is actually, um, I've never thought of it as manifesting itself differently. Uh, you would think that it would just manifest itself the same. But I like that you brought forth that it, it could be anxiety. It could be uh, a little bit of both. Um, let me ask you this. As I young person with it, uh, what did you do as a young person to help yourself? Um, I can't say heal, but how did you deal with it as a young person when you were young? Well, uh, before, before I went in to see a doctor or really knew anything that was going on, um, I just, you know, I, I thought I was broken, um, mm. that 
I, you know, there, there was something inherently wrong with me that I couldn't fix. And so, you know, I probably didn't deal with it in very healthy ways um, all the time. You know, I probably gave in to those dark thoughts and, and just, it, you know, let them spiral and think of myself horribly. <clears throat> um, and I think I would sleep a lot. Um, which I, anyways, <laughs> that's something else. But um, I, once, once I made known, you know, how I was feeling to my mom and said, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to die. I don't know why I feel this way, but I just can't stand feeling this way anymore. And I don't want to feel it. And I want to die. And, you know, she immediately took me to a doctor and, you know, we talked about depression and stress and ways to cope and manage. And that was, you know, when I first started talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't remember a lot of what that particular therapist taught me. Um, but I know that once I had finally said the words to my mom, you know, this is how I'm feeling and I want to die. It, it wasn't immediate, but it, it was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I was almost euphoric the next day because I felt so much better getting it off my chest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was fine for a while and then, you know, it would come back and I would, I would probably lock myself in my room and listen to, Uh, depressing music and cry or uh, burn incense because that was kind of the thing at that age (laughs) you know just not not really sure wasn't really sure how to how to manage it at the time or or I'd go you know sometimes I would talk to my mom and she'd help me feel better Um, but it wasn't until I was in this abusive relationship, um, like fresh into college almost, and uh, and I, I I just completely broke down. I happened to be at my cousin's place at the time, and uh, she she lived in Utah, so I was in Utah at the time, and my mom was in Washington, and um, I just I completely broke down, and my cousin called my mom and said, "This is what's going on." And my mom immediately flew out there and just started taking care of me and getting me into a doctor, getting me into a therapist. And um, it was at that point that I really remember starting the process to get better. Yeah. Um, And your mom kind of explained that talk therapy really isn't going to do it. Um, Medications can't help it. Is that all true that medications and talk therapy really don't work for it? I think it depends on the person. So like I I said a little bit earlier, my brother, he's dealt with um, some of these feelings too, but he's managed to uh, deal with it on his own in in healthy ways and and recognize it and go, okay, I need to change this in order to not feel this way. Um, So for him, you know, it's just a matter of awareness and changing habits. Uh, for some people, it may be that talk therapy works for them and that's all they need. It may be that you know, talk therapy doesn't really work for them and they need something more, whether it's uh, a medication or some other kind of therapy. Um, and then personally, I think that for severe clinical depression, I think a combination is probably what is going to work best in most cases. So like for me, uh, I did a lot of talk therapy, behavioral stuff and medication. And I, so I think that for a lot of the genetic type stuff, especially with a, a, an actual chemical imbalance, right. that medication is probably pretty important. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it's for everyone. I would never say that. Um, one of the things I'm very um, big on or an advocate for, if you want to say, is um, finding what's right for you. Right. And, you know, you may be completely against medication. And, you know, that's okay. Try other things first. 
but be open to other things. Because if something's not working, you you need to feel better. You have a right to a healthy mind. Right. And if medication is what it takes, don't be afraid of it. Now, let me ask you this, Marie. Do you take medication? Because I was under the impression by your mom that really there's nothing that works because it's not going to change anything. It's it's not going to do anything. Well, you, yes and no. And, and yes, I am on medication. I take, um, I take medication every day. Uh, I have since, since I was about 19, I've tried seven different medications wow. throughout the last, yeah, 10 years. And I'm currently on Prozac and I have been on Prozac since the end of 2009. And it has been uh, a life changer for me. Um, it is, after a few months of being on it and doing and doing talk therapy, uh, I noticed that like it was like a, a fog was lifted off my brain, and I could think clearly for the first time in my life. Um, now it was like. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it was. It was just like um, it was like I could finally see that light at the end of the tunnel. Like there was yeah. there was hope and. I felt better than I had in so long, um, but I will not ever say that medication is a cure. No. Um, it's not. I still have bad days. Uh, there are fewer and far between or further between, and when I do have a bad day, I'm usually able to think more coherently through them, but it is still something that I deal with or I deal with certain symptoms on a daily basis. Right. And so, no, I do not think that medication is a cure. It's not going to make it magically go away, but it will make life manageable and enjoyable when you find the right one or, or the right therapy. Right. Let me ask you this. Um, Around 2009, your father passed just before that, right? He passed, uh, yeah, it was the year before. And um, did that have any influence on your depression? Did it increase? You said that things started getting better because you started using medication, but um, his passing, did that cause uh, any increase or did any change at all in your depression? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, um, and to preface, my father and I weren't very close. Um, there are many reasons behind that. But um, uh, when he died, I remember at the funeral, or the, I guess it was the viewing, um, I walked into the room and I, I just immediately broke down. I hadn't cried at all before that point. Um, but when I walked into the room and I saw him, you know, laying in, in his coffin, I just immediately broke down and I had to leave the room. And, and my husband and my aunt came out and they were trying to, you know, talk to me. And and I, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people were probably thinking that I was just then processing the fact that he was dead. Um, but... To be completely honest, I was freaking out that people were looking at me and wondering when I was going to be next. Because I'm so sorry. Every everybody knew that I dealt with that too, and right. So it, it just felt like everybody was looking at me and going, "Hmm, wonder how much longer she'll last, or wonder when this will take her through." Or, and it was probably a lot in my head. It was probably me thinking that to myself too, but yeah, um, it was a very real feeling. And just yeah. to give the listeners uh, uh, some information is he committed suicide because of his depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me ask you this. You did indicate that you were suicidal and was uh, put in a behavioral unit approximately at the age of 25 um, Ashley, you had attempted suicide. Is that correct? Uh, 
medically, that would be the diagnosis. Uh, I've always maintained the, or tried to stress that I was not wanting to die. I was you just needed help. To not feel, and I didn't know how to ask for help. I, right. I didn't know, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to say. Um, and I just wanted to sleep and not feel what I was feeling. And I, so I thought that taking a handful of sleeping pills would fix that. And I did not. <laughs> you didn't feel anything. I bet it felt great. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's funny. You'd think that I would sleep for a long time, but no, I kept waking up frequently and then going back mm. to sleep and then waking up. And I was very uh, groggy groggy, incoherent, well, not necessarily incoherent, but I didn't, it was hard to keep track of where I was, um, and they kept moving me from, you know, whether it was the ER to a room to the, to the behavioral unit hospital, it was hard to keep track of where I was and what was going on around me, and it took probably two days to get it all out of my system. They didn't, they didn't have to pump my stomach, but it did take about two days of sleeping off and on and off and on and off and on until it was finally. And was that before or after your dad's death? That was after. That was uh, approximately a year and, I don't know, four months after he died. And part of it was because I did not have a very good doctor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that was a significant factor in my father's death as well, that he did not have a very good doctor at the time. Um, and... Uh, my my doctor at that time had put me on um, one of the antidepressants, and and I don't want to say which one because I don't want to uh, um, jade anybody against a certain right. medication because you know one thing might work for somebody that doesn't work for somebody else. And right, um, so he, he put me on a yeah yeah everybody's gonna everybody's chemical makeup is different they're gonna react differently right um mm-hmm. so he had put me on a medication and it wasn't working and he put me on like this super super high dose and it didn't work in fact it made me sick um physically i ended up having to go and get a um an iv and they had to put like I think it was like two and a half bags in me because i was so dehydrated um because of this medication and i was feeling so bad because of that, and because the medication wasn't working, that it was about a week after that is when I, I overdosed. Mm. And because I, I, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know what to say. Um, my doctor clearly wasn't helping me. Um, right. What would enough. you recommend <laughs> someone to say? Because uh, let me share a, 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 actually it's a movie with, uh, it came out in the 70s when depression wasn't known at all. And this woman had depression. Her name, the name of the movie is called Lisa Bright and Dark. And she walked through a plate full of glass, you know, a glass uh, door or window or something to get help because she was saying, I need help. But what is a good appropriate way of besides uh, walking through a plate glass door um, <laughs> to ask for help? I mean, seriously, what, what's a good way that people are going to understand you know, it's hard um, because when you're in that dark place or you're feeling that low, it's like something's misfiring in your brain, which it kind of is. And so communication skills kind of go out the window and your ability to form that sentence, I need help, is almost physically impossible, at least for me. It is like almost physically impossible. It just, there's like a disconnect there. And I don't know what, I don't know why. Um, Right. So I think, I think maybe when you're in a a good place, setting up a plan uh, for if that happens, you know, say, you know, maybe you have a a code word or a safe word if you want to call it. Uh, That way, all you have to do is remember one little word and if you say that word you know to somebody who you trust and who knows your situation then they can get your help um that would be my advice um it's not something i have actually tried but uh i should probably do that (laughs) Um, that's a good idea yeah it's it's i think
think that that or um, maybe if if you can't say it, write it down. Right. Um, or find find some way that you can communicate. Um, maybe it's a song, uh, you know. But just let somebody know ahead of time. If you if you can let somebody know ahead of time. Hey, uh, this is something that I need you to know about. If I say this, or if I do this, or, or send you this song, or or clip, or any whatever it is, please know that that's me asking for help because I don't know how to ask for help at the time. Right. I had a friend who literally just would text, "I need help," and that meant, you know, mm-hmm. contact her ASAP. And yeah. so even something as simple as that, it could be as well. But yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There should be something yeah. that somebody else is going to be able to identify um, that you need help. Yes. I think that that is a very smart plan for anyone dealing with these kinds of illnesses or feelings to, to have. Yeah. Now, as you got older, um, it, this started when you were 12, approximately. Um, as you got older, did you see any de- changes in the depression? Did um, it get more intense? Did it lighten up? Did, you know, um, was it easier to deal with? What were what were the changes that that might have happened as you got older? So... I'm not sure it changed too much. Uh, so in my life, I kind of I kind of separate my life into uh, BP and AP, which is before Prozac and after Prozac, because it was such <laughs> a defining thing in my life um, and changed my life so much. So yeah. before Prozac, you know, I I remember just always feeling this heaviness in my mind, this darkness in my mind, it's like a clouded feeling. Because like I said, uh, after a few months of being on Prozac, it's like this fog was lifted and I could think clearly for the first time in my life. I remember very distinctly before that, just this, it's like this fogginess. I was like wading through this thick fogginess and my thoughts couldn't become coherent very easily. And, um, and there was a lot of um, a lot of thinking, dark thoughts, um, and <laughs> I'm going to share something kind of embarrassing <laughs> to me. But um, when my husband and I were first married, uh, so the first year of our marriage was, was pretty rough for him because I decided to change. Uh, my medication right before we got married because I was worried about it affecting our intimacy because that's a a very real symptom with antidepressants. And so I was really worried about that. And so I did a little bit of research and I found one that was supposed to not have as much effect on that. And so um, the doctor I had at the time, we put me on it and it did not work (laughs) at all. (laughs) It was probably (laughs) the worst thing Oh, the worst thing I could have had for myself, um, which oh, no. a very interesting, interesting first year. First year. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and you knew him for a long time before you married him, right? Yes. Yes. I'm thankfully I've known him my whole life and, um, he was, uh, he was one of my good friends growing up. Uh, his mom said recently that my parents were the first one, of, I think the first people to visit, her and, and him in the hospital when he was born. So very, very close um, for our whole lives. Oh, cute. <laughs> um, which, which is something that I think I really needed. I couldn't have asked for a better partner in life than this person who knows me, who knows my right. background and my history. Right. Um, so I'm very, very, very grateful for him. And, uh, um, and I think that probably really helped uh, for that first year of marriage and since then, um, because, you know, I think anybody else would have been like, this is ridiculous and, and left. Uh, well, I, I had some pretty crazy moments. Yeah. And the, the one, the one I can think of, the, the embarrassing one was when um, it was right before, it was kind of the catalyst 
to, to put me on a different medication than I was on. And um, it was, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I was sitting at my computer desk, which is out in the living room. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what sparked it, but I just threw everything on my desk onto the floor. And I, I walked into my our room and I just crawled in bed and put the covers over my head. And uh, not long after, my husband got home from work and, and uh, he came in and he, he threw the covers off and he's like, what the heck is going <laughs> And, you know, that, like I said, that was kind of the catalyst of the waking up moment to, you know, realizing I, there needed to be a change in my medication. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, but it, and- I'm sure for him coming home to like this practically like a temper tantrum from his wife, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you know, it it put me on the path to where <laughs> it was I was going to get better from then on. And what what was probably pretty yeah. nice since he grew up with you is he didn't take it personal when you went into the depression. He understood that it was an entity that is basically taking over your body, and you're you guys need to fight it together. Yeah, does that sound I about think, right? And, yeah, I think there was probably, especially during that first year. There's probably a little bit where he thought it was personal, but because he knew my background and he talked to my mom, he I think he recognized it faster that it was this disease, this illness, and not me. You know? Right. And so that helped, and and you know I'm really glad that he and my mom have a good relationship and can talk about that kind of stuff. So because that's helped us in our marriage and me in my life very much. And how and you guys have been married 14 years. 14 years how, is coming February. Yeah, how long have you how old were you when you got married? I was <laughs> I can't do math in my head. <laughs> I think I was uh, 20. I think I, I think I was about 20. Okay. So it was right after that Maybe bad 20, 20, um 20, sorry. the domestic violence um relationship then. Yes. Yeah, it, it was uh, let's see. It was about a year, a year and a half after that, actually. So fairly short amount of time, yes, but Yeah. Well, that's good that you got out of that one though. That was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, that that would have ended much, much worse. <laughs> yeah, much worse. Okay, as a that mother, what are some of yeah. your what are some of your concerns as a mother? Um, well, you know, uh, definitely, I don't, I... definitely passing it on to my children. Um, and how many children do you have? Do. We have two yeah. boys. And there is absolutely nothing you can do. It is what it is, right? Um, yeah. What do you do to help yourself uh if, if you're going through an episode of depression, what do you do at this time? Besides the Prozac, um, is there anything um, like go out jogging, you know, release endorphins, <laughs> maybe do jumping jacks? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I should. I should go jogging. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I, well, one of the little things that I do is I keep, certain pictures and video clips on my phone, um, just things that have made me smile in the past, uh, things that are meaningful to me, uh, clips, little video clips of like my oldest son when he was little and just cute things he would do or, or my nieces or nephews, you know, little bits of, of um, videos from, from them. Um, I know I have, I think I have a voice memo on my phone from my um my oldest nephew, and it's just him saying, hi, Auntie Mia, I love you, and that's it, <laughs> but I can, I can just, I'll, I can go back to it anytime I need a little pick-me-up or right. just a reminder that I'm not worthless, uh, I can just go back, I can look at these things, I can listen to these things, and they can help me remember what the frame of mind I need to be in is. And yeah, that it's you know not as bleak and hopeless as it looks. Right. Yeah. So there's there's that. Um, 
I have a, a playlist on my phone called Happy, <laughs> which is full of some of my favorite upbeat, happy songs. Um, I love Happy. <laughs> including that song, Happy, from um, Feral, right? Uh, Despicable Me. Despicable Me, too, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's that. So, there, I know that uh, Trolls, the soundtrack for Trolls, um, listening to, uh, now I forgot the name of this song, but, oh, I've got this, I've got this feeling, I think is what it's called. Maybe that's just the start of it. I got this feeling inside my bones. Uh-huh. It's like electric crazy when I turn it on. Uh, that song always puts a smile on my face. Always. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, things like that. Um, um, I'll look around at the good things that I have in my life. I, I have a huge collection of knickknacks. Um, just, I love miniatures. Uh, they're just little, little things that I've collected over the years that make me smile. Um, um, I, I used to go and get like a mocha when I was feeling bad because it would help me feel better, but uh, recently I've been depending on that for just keeping me alive through the day. Good. <laughs> you need what you need, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, so it's not quite the uh, mental health pick me up anymore as much as it's a keep me awake and <laughs> sane there through you the go. day. Um, and you know, it's, it, I can always add things and take things off of the, of this little list. Like, like I said, I could, mochas aren't really doing that for me anymore, but, um, you know, maybe something else is like right. uh, doing a craft yeah, or watching a certain movie or a certain movie. Like, um, when I'm sick, one of my favorite things to do is watch a Shirley Temple movie. Oh, awesome. So there's almost nothing bad about Shirley Temple movies, you know, they're, they're just, they're positive, they have good morals, and they just leave you feeling warm and fuzzy. I was going to say <laughs> like warm and cold. fuzzy. Sometimes they're kind of sad, though. Sometimes, but they, they almost always have a, a moral to it and a, and a, a a happy ending. Um, yeah, you know, they even do. if something sad happens in the movie, there's almost there's always a happy ending, and and that's you know that's a lot like life. There's always going to be sad things that happen. Right. Um, you can't get away from it. That's and correct. So just just learning to. Um, I, I don't want to say move on, but move on with it. You know, and make life enjoyable even if you do have a sadness that lingers behind there you know that right that so yeah (laughs) Um, right well okay I have a quick question for you um do you mm -hmm. reach out to help others with depression I do try um I'm not always the best at recognizing it um and acting upon it but yeah you know if I'm if I'm talking to a friend and they're just like I'm just having a really hard time with this and I'm just so I'm feeling like this you know I I will always listen and offer a hug and say you know is there anything I can do or you know can I just listen and tell you I love you and I care about you and we'll try and get through this together Right. Uh, do you ever use, do you ever go to any of those um, social media sites on depression? I used to. Um, I was following one and very interested in one um, called the mighty, uh, org, And they have a Facebook site and they dealt, they dealt with more than just uh, mental illness, but also physical disabilities um, as well. And it was very, very good for a while until it wasn't. <laughs> I noticed that, and I was getting emails every day about that had articles dealing with depression. And it wasn't just like how to deal with depression. It was um, stories from other people, uh, 
uh, stories and instances of, you know, bouts of depression things. And it just, it wasn't healthy for me. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't keep getting all that, wasn't necessarily negative, but just that reminder all the time um, of this dark thing that I live with. It it wasn't helpful for me to constantly be reminded of. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Sometimes peer support... Well, sometimes peer mm-hmm. support's a real helpful thing, but I can see with depression mm-hmm. it may be a unhelpful thing. Yeah, for for me it's not helpful. For someone else, it might be helpful to, you know, to join a community like that and um, be able to talk and help others and listen and have others listen and talk and and um, yeah, that might be very helpful for someone else, but it's not for me. Right. And, yeah, I'm, I'm always saying it's just, it's what works for you. You have to find what works for you. And that can be right. really hard. Um, you know, I went through so many years of literal hell and darkness until I finally just put on Prozac and that's what changed my life. Wow, um, that's great. It might be something, it might be something different for someone else, but my advice is to keep looking for it. And don't ever stop until you find what works for you. Because you have that right. You have the right to feel good. Yeah, but isn't it kind of messing with your chemical makeup when you change so many times or no? What are your thoughts? Um, I don't know, medically speaking. Um, I have absolutely no background in medicine or or how the brain works or anything like that. Um, But I'll give a little example from my own life is uh, when I got pregnant with my oldest, um, you know, I I talked to my doctors at the time and and, um, I said, I've heard that being on antidepressants is not healthy for the baby as it's growing. And, you know, what do we, what do we do about that? Because I don't feel confident going off my medication. And, um, they were able to put me on a medication that was safe or safer or had, you know, lower risk of side effects. And, you know, they were able to ease my fears and say, you know, it's, it's important for you to be healthy and in a good place so that your baby can grow and be healthy. Because if you aren't taking care of yourself, you aren't taking care of your baby. And so for me, it was, it was like, okay, I have to take care of myself. I have to make sure I am in an okay and good place, a healthy place. Otherwise, this is all for naught. Right. Um, and so when I got pregnant with my, my second, I, <laughs> I told the doctor, I had different doctors, and I said, I'm not going off my medication. I absolutely will not go off my medication because I know what it will do to me and it will not be healthy for either of us. And they were like, okay. And we just monitored it throughout both pregnancies. We just monitored it, monitored it, sorry. Um, and thankfully I never, I never had any problems. Um, but if, you know, I was giving advice to someone going through something similar, I'd say just, you know, do what you need to do to be healthy for you. Talk to your doctors and monitor it very closely. So I think it can be done. I did it. I think anybody can do it <laughs> if they they talk to their doctors. Yeah, and you have two kids now. I do. And how did um, – did, were you on a different medication during the second one? Yes, so I was on Prozac for our youngest. And oh. I think I'm – I think for our oldest, I was on, um, I don't know, something else. <laughs> like I said, I've been, I've been on seven different medications. Sometimes it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm not sure when I was on that one. So, uh, perfect. So, the Prozac uh, had no, um, did not cause any disabilities for your your child? No. Excellent. He was perfectly normal 
rambunctious as can be three-year-old. <laughs> well, that's good. That's actually really good to know because some people might be wondering what the 411 on that might be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was worried. I think the number one thing I was worried about the most was withdrawal when they were born. Um, and I thankfully had nothing like that happen with them. Um, I don't know if there other certain medications might have more of a likelihood of that or not, but with mm-hmm. what I was on, I did not have that problem. Thankfully, so it's yeah, it's just having an open conversation with your doctor about it. That's the right thing. And you have to trust your doctor, right? Yes, and if you do not have a good doctor, which I did not in 2009, you have got to advocate for yourself. You have got to. My, that's, I firmly believe that that is what led to my father's death, was what, well, one thing was not having a good doctor, not having one that was listening enough, not having one that was proactive enough. And I think if he'd had a better doctor, he might still be here today. And, you know, so it's very, very important that if you feel like you're not being listened to, you either demand to be heard or you find someone who will listen. Right. Right. There's, Get another doctor. Right? Yeah, there's good and bad doctors out there. You know, not everybody is, um, not everybody is able to treat uh, mental illness or depression. You know, some people are better at it than others. And so you, you just got to find someone who will work for you with you right thankfully I was I was able to I I, you know in in 2009 after I went into the hospital I cut off all ties with that doctor and started seeing uh, someone new and ended up in a much better place that's awesome (laughs) yeah so since then I've been very careful if I felt like someone wasn't listening to me I either said no you need to listen or I'm finding someone else and you know what? I think doctors actually should specialize at times because things about things using mental health issues like depression, um, they should, you know, be a little bit knowledgeable in the area of depression before they start handing Definitely. out meds. Definitely. Definitely. Because there's, there's definitely a bit of a crisis in the world where, or at least in America, they just, hand out antidepressants like it's no big deal. No, I and know. That that's kinda that's scary. It's it's not for everybody. And there are real side effects that need to you need to be aware of. Yeah. And um so definitely think that there needs to be maybe a bit more training or at least some some specialization. Uh, not just psychologists and psychiatrists. I think your normal general practice doctors they need more knowledge and training on this because that's the first person you go to um usually is your family doctor your general practitioner right uh, someone that you know or that you've been working with for you yeah yeah and that that's kind of the first step towards you know getting to where you need to be is, is they're kind of that that launching pad you know so they need to know what they're dealing with Right. <laughs> well, you're amazing, and I so appreciate you coming on tonight. I know it was a last-minute thing, but you're an angel from God. I have to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom kept, told me she goes, "Hey, Maria, Maria wants to talk to you, you know, on your talk show and talk about about this." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll get to her, I'll get to her." And then like, "Okay, what's her phone number again?" <laughs> She's amazing. You know, I love her so much. I mean. um, like like I always tell her, she was my amazing. Yeah, she was my dad's favorite daughter, and I'm not kidding. He would always tell me about how great, how awesome Grace was. I'm like, that's wonderful, which is fine because I did. My dad was just a wonderful guy, but you know, it was great. So I always tell her she was well, my dad's favorite. I can definitely attest to the fact that that she's amazing because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here for so many reasons. I mean, she gave I, you know, me life I know. and she saved my life. And right. And she's been, just she's always there me. for her kids, especially. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yes. It's just amazing. Yes. And her having dealt with, you know, the, 
the depression with my dad has really definitely helped her to uh, help me, help my siblings, help those around her. Um, so it, I wouldn't say it's a blessing, but it's definitely had a, a good thing come from it. Right. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, I am going to go to a public service announcement, and I will talk to you later. Okay, sweetie? Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good good night. night. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Uh, Welcome back. This is Shereen. I just want to thank everyone for listening tonight, and I want to thank Marie for coming on at the last minute. I've been working with her best past two or three hours going, hey, my person just canceled. Can you come on? And she's like, ah, absolutely. So that was wonderful. I have, I would tell you what's going to happen uh, next week, but I have two or three things in the pot. And so I'm not sure which one's going to come out. Uh, they're going to be great though. Um, and I will get to them all hopefully this, this month. I know that Christmas is this month and that's on a, I think Wednesday, right? So uh, we have several great speakers that are going to be uh, speaking this month, our guests that will be on my shows. They're absolutely amazing. So we're, we're going to be very blessed. And then we'll start off the new year again with some great speakers as well. I already have those starting to line up. So you have a good night. Please stay safe and, and always be careful. Have a good night.